When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're a very specific type of person, you might have spent Wednesday morning waiting anxiously to find out whether former President Trump would be allowed back on Facebook. If you work in tech or news or politics, or you spend a lot of time on Facebook, you were probably doing what I was doing, repeatedly refreshing Twitter, waiting for the headline and wondering whether Facebook's independent oversight board would say the company was right to kick Trump off indefinitely back in January after the Capitol riots. On Wednesday, all eyes will be watching as the board makes a decision that will send ripples through the Republican Party, Washington, D.C., and across the world. To be honest, it's kind of what I expected Kate Klonick was doing, waiting to see whether this board, which is kind of like a Supreme Court for the company, would agree with Facebook or not. Before Wednesday, they had said the company was wrong to take something down four out of five times. And this decision about Trump was their biggest one yet. What were you doing when you were waiting for the oversight board's decision? Were you like breathlessly refreshing online to see what they were going to say? No, I was teaching class, actually. Like I, uh, it had the horrible timing of coming out directly um, coinciding with an internet law class that I am teaching right now for Cornell Law. This class was at Cornell, but most of the time, Kate is a law professor at St. John's University. And she, more than almost anyone outside Facebook or the Oversight Board itself, has spent the past few years thinking and writing about how to make something like the Oversight Board work. I was in class, and my my students put the link to it in the chat for me. <laughs> it was very cute. The board said, yes, okay, Facebook did the right thing in suspending Trump, but an indefinite suspension was not appropriate. And they said Facebook needed to figure out its policies fast. To a lot of people, it sounded like the board punting. Liberals wanted him gone forever. Conservatives were mad about the ban in the first place. This threading the needle response was not particularly satisfying. But Kate, with her law professor brain, rejoiced. What really hit me about this decision was it had such an important question attached to it, which was obviously the question of Trump, which was so polemic. And I was afraid that however they decided on that issue was going to overshadow their ability to set really strong procedural rules as a as kind of a, basically as a court. Um, but it didn't. And in fact, they hewed to a level of procedure and rule of law that I was just really, really thrilled to see. Today on the show, why Kate is so thrilled and why the Oversight Board's decision just might be the start of a set of new rules for Facebook and everyone who uses it. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD?, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us.
Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. A lot of people, including me, have tossed around the phrase Supreme Court to describe Facebook's oversight board. But the board, which is funded by Facebook and made up of 20 people, lawyers, academics, journalists from around the world, doesn't have the force of actual law behind it. Rather, it's looking at what Facebook has already decided should come off the site and saying, yes, we agree with that, or no, we don't. Importantly, Facebook has said it will follow what the board decides. In this particular case, the board had one big question to answer. Which is, what was the process that Facebook was employing for world leaders like Donald Trump? And what we know now is that there really wasn't one. They had this many strikes type of system. It was applied seemingly in an ad hoc way. They have a newsworthiness standard, which is very loose and poorly defined. They have public figure standards that are loose and poorly defined. And basically, one of the things that you see coming out of this is the board saying that's not okay. Yeah, I think when the board released its decision on Wednesday morning, a lot of people in the general public were expecting kind of Trump's gone forever or Trump's back on. And and that would be the end of it. It's not really either of those. How would you describe what the board said? So basically what the board is saying is they're saying, yes, you were right to ban Trump under your current policies, but it's not clear that you can ban him under your current policies forever. And we are not going to tell you how that should come out. You have to decide, Facebook. And then we can tell you whether what you decide holds up against your own values and against international human rights standards. You need to have consistent rules. You need to make them very clear. And then we will adjudicate whether or not you have correctly applied them. The board gave Facebook six months to write those rules and to figure out what to do with the former president and other world leaders to whom these same standards would apply. A way of like kind of thinking about this is a little bit like administration law, where the D.C. Circuit gets some type of decision from the like the Social Security Administration. And the D.C. Circuit says, we're going to remand this back to the the administration to create rules for this and apply them because we respect Mm -hmm. their own ability to have their rules. And then after that, we'll see if what they did was reasonable and what they did adheres to the rule of law and the Constitution. What this really is, is a very sophisticated legal determination. I just find that refreshing after such a, like a long period of cacophony. In the world of public opinion, I think this becomes a, a question of free speech. But it sounds like what you're saying is this is very clearly, and the board said this, about applying Facebook's community standards, Instagram's community guidelines, and saying this is about sticking to your own rules. Yes, it's about rule of law. It is about procedure and institution building, and it's about consistency and proportionality. And none of those things 
our free speech. The board wrote this crucial thing, and I want you to help me understand it. They said in applying a vague standardless penalty and then referring this case to the board to resolve, Facebook seeks to avoid its responsibilities. That felt pretty damning to me. What should Facebook do with that? I love that they call this out because I said I've been saying this for a while and I thought I was just going crazy and I was the only one that saw it like this. But it's it's vague and indefinite and it's not clear how they got there. And Hmm. especially as we get out of the realm of public figures or political figures or world leaders and start talking about what this is going to mean for everyday users that have their accounts banned for reasons that they never find out what what they did wrong or everything. These are huge issues, especially in like in these pandemic times when we are all online and some of our only ways to communicate with our community and the people we love is through these platforms. And so they're becoming more and more essential. And we have less and less knowledge about how it all works. And so this is enormously powerful to say something like this back to Facebook, especially when, honestly, Facebook, I think, wanted the board to take this hot potato from them. Yeah. So the board tosses the hot potato back at Facebook and says, OK, you guys have six months. You got to figure this out. Um Does that just mean that Mark Zuckerberg and and Facebook's leadership is going to have to make a call? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's exactly what it means. Facebook has said that they will abide by what the board says. Um, They don't have to, though, do they? Uh, No. There is no enforcement mechanism, so to speak, besides publicly publicly kind of shaming them and the board having the power to call them out for this. When we come back, what does it mean for the board to succeed? For years, Facebook has hewed to a very American standard of speech, meaning it's better to have as few restrictions on it as possible. It's also leaned hard into the concept of newsworthiness, Basically saying if something is important for the public to know, be it offensive, hurtful, or even false, then it should be allowed on the platform. Where this causes problems, though, is when something that is newsworthy, think what a president of the United States says, is also potentially violent or dangerous, think Trump's remarks on January 6th. Kate says that for Facebook, saying that something is newsworthy has been a way to avoid making tough decisions. Okay, let's have like an honest conversation about what the hell newsworthiness means and how it is a complete fiction. It it is a standard. It is not a rule. It is not categorical. And it is defined circularly by courts and by, by everyday users. Newsworthies are things that are news. Like, how the hell do we, like, where are we even going with that, right? Beheadings. Every beheading should be like, should be newsworthy. But we don't want to see beheadings on our Facebook feed. There was a time in which basically the newsworthy standard was that whoever was doing content moderation would look and see if the person had Google results to their name. But like, what do you do if the person is a minor and has Google results for their name? What do you do if they're uh, like involuntarily famous because they're a rape victim or the victim of a crime? So Facebook has to put it down on paper. This is what we think newsworthiness means. 
Yes, basically. And they've done that like a few different times. Like, but the other thing is that they've moved the definition like a, like dozens and dozens of times. And we don't know about it because we have no um, transparency into kind of this whole system. These are, by the way, issues that the United States justice system and like specifically the Supreme Court has dealt with for dozens and dozens of years to really bad results. Uh, honestly, to very kind of unfavorable results where it is okay that you publish the name of a rape victim. Newspapers don't do that anymore. And so some of these things are just kind of like, I, I just really am excited that this level of conversation is happening finally, because I just feel as if it's been a very shallow conversation for a long time. To push back on that a little bit, though, it feels to me like the very fact that we're having this conversation or maybe the very fact that the board exists and so much attention has been paid to this just underlines how Facebook is a world unto itself. And so many of the standard rules under which everybody else operates don't seem to apply to Facebook. Yeah, but I mean, I have to ask everybody else who's everybody else. There is no everybody else. It's everybody else is everyone. It's just kind of like this idea that Facebook says, like, their community standards. Well, like, there is no Facebook community. There is no one Facebook community. A community is defined by a group of people that share a set of norms. And, like, there is no one set of norms that we can all agree on. Not on nudity, not on violence, not on newsworthiness, not on any of these things. And moving the conversation away from the intractable problems and into the problems of procedure is the first step to trying to figure out like how to protect the rights and values that we do know for sure we want to have embedded in a private platform like Facebook. I noticed that people pointed out that the board asked Facebook questions about its own role in what happened on January 6th. Basically, how the former president's posts were displayed and then shown to people and Facebook did not answer all of those questions. And that, to me, seemed like a sign that for all of this, Facebook maybe wasn't ready to be policed. Am I reading too much into that? No, it's a really it's a really accurate revelation, I think. And that was also something that I was so pleased about. So here's another like little part of that, is that for all of their legal analysis and everything, there is something that this opinion gives us that we simply didn't have before, which is a reliable reconstruction of events. We only saw the one side of it, but we didn't know what was happening in Facebook. And this finally gives us some of that. And this like lays out some of that. And where it doesn't and where they failed to answer, that tells us that too. I mean, effectively, if you think of this as a court and you think of Facebook as the government in like this type of way, this is the equivalent of a court asking the government to present evidence and to present facts and answer things and the government saying no. I think that's going to be something that's going to end up being very important in the long run. I think something that is pretty crucial for listeners to understand and reckon with is that Facebook, you know, you and I are talking in the United States, but Facebook operates globally. And this American standard of erring on the side of free expression, may not always hold sway everywhere. And this decision was also about setting the precedent for when other leaders violate the terms of service. I, I wonder what ground you think what the board did lays for that. Oh, I think that you can't look at this decision and think this is just about Trump. This is a decision about Bolsonaro. This is a decision about Modi. This is a decision um, about places where Facebook is even 
more entrenched as part of like the social fabric of democracy than it is certainly in the United States, which is like 7% of Facebook's user global user base. You're really going to find a interesting trade-off here because the right, as you said, the right to freedom of expression means different things in different places. And I think that free expression also as an international human right, I think we're going to struggle with a permanent ban. I think that the idea of a permanent ban might not be consistent with international human rights. Hmm. And so that's kind of something to wonder also is, are they going to hold Facebook to its own rules as long as it's consistent about them? Or are they really going to, in six months, decide to hold them to international human rights standards? We don't know what Facebook will decide to do in six months. After all, as Kate has noted, there is no enforcement mechanism for the board, just Facebook's word that it'll go along with board decisions. And Facebook paid for the board to exist. It could decide at some point that it doesn't want independent oversight and stop paying. I feel like we're sort of coming back to the board and its reason for existence. Um, you told the radio show Radio Lab at one point that you were worried that the board would be a place where Facebook could just offload its crappy decisions. It feels like the board has kind of refused to be that. Um, I can't tell (laughs) if that means the board is doomed, because after all, they do get money from Facebook, or, and I think I know where you're going on this, that that it has backbone. I mean, listen, there's so many directions this could have gone, right? They could have easily just been like, I'll take my check from, I'll take my check and I'll write a five-page, like, superficial decision that says keep them up or take them down, that applies the community standards. And this is like, it's just not what we got. There's a moment happening right now in which we have had these private companies that control a public right, and there has been no visible way to break that system, not through other governments, not through technology. More tech is not fixing tech. If Facebook was hoping for this to be kind of a a PR win for them or an easy way to get out of doing the hard stuff, it sounds like you're saying that backfired. Yeah, it backfired big time. Kate Klonick, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Kate Klonick is an assistant professor at St. John's University School of Law. All right, that's the show. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and edited by Allison Benedict and Tori Bosch. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and it's also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you want to learn more about speech online, check out Future Tense's free speech project, which you can find at slate.com slash future tense. And I want to recommend you go back and listen to Thursday's episode of What Next. It's about Bill and Melinda Gates' divorce, because the dissolution of their marriage could actually have a huge impact on the world of philanthropy. What Next? We'll be back on Monday. Have a good weekend. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.